0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 24th of August, 2014, entitled, Our Great Hope, Established in Our Great Salvation. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Hey, we're going to read to start with the first nine verses. We'll be looking a bit further at that as we look through the passage uh, this evening. But I invite you to... To stand honor the reading of God's Holy word this evening, beginning in First Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the time that we can have together this evening. Thank you for the time that we've been able to join our hearts in singing the songs unto you. Now, Lord, as we look into your Word, we just pray that, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, that you might speak to our hearts this evening. Lord, may you make these words alive in such a way that, Lord, that you would speak to our innermost being that which is impossible for us. Lord, you know each heart. You know each need. We commit this entire time into your hands. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. I don't know how many of you have maybe read... This book of 1 Peter, in recent times, it's a great book to read. There's probably not a book that in such a concise, small form covers almost all the important doctrines pertaining to salvation and redemption. But the real theme that Peter is writing here, and we'll find as we read through it, and, and, and my I guess hopes are that just over the next uh, few weeks on Sunday evenings that we can just kind of take an overview of this book of 1 Peter. And of course, his real theme is hope, a great hope that we have amidst the suffering, amidst the trials, amidst the struggles, amidst all the problems that are going on, that is children of God. And of course, he's writing here, and again, we'll see as we write through that, yes, We find as he's addressed here in the beginning, he is writing to those scattered Jews that have been under great persecution and have been scattered everywhere, but he also includes the Gentiles in this as well. And We find that as he goes through, he gives us a real basis for the hope that we have. Now, hopefully over the next few weeks, we wanna look at just a few things. First of all, our great hope that is established in our great salvation. If we have any hope this evening, That's where it's got to be established. It's established in the fact that we've been redeemed, that we belong to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, that our hope is exemplified in our lives before others. If we're truly born again, if we're truly saved, Even though that the trials may be coming, even though that it may be discouraging, as Christians, we ought to handle those things differently than the world. And so, first of all, we need to be established in our salvation, and then secondly, that hope needs to be exemplified to others that are around us. Thirdly, we'll see that our hope is essential in the midst of suffering. If when we get to going through many of those trials... If we get to struggling and it feels like that everything is coming in on us, you know, hope is what keeps us going. You know, you can ask anybody in life, even non-Christians have, have, have got enough spiritual insight to understand that they need hope. Well, our hope is essential. Our hope in Jesus Christ, our hope that is found not in the things of this world, but is in him. And then fourthly, we find that as he gets into the, to the last part of this letter, that our hope. Is entrenched in our Savior's return we're looking for that blessed hope when he is going to return and we believe yes things may be hard but we're listening for the trumpet sound we know that he's coming soon so as we begin to look this evening I want us to to think on this 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 first thought for just a little while and I really just want to kind of skim over these things I want you to realize and understand that we do have a great hope Amidst all the suffering, amidst everything that may go on, we have a great hope. And that great hope must be established in our great salvation. We find that, first of all here, as he begins in this passage, that uh, uh, the verses that we have just read here, he really is making that very, very clear. Notice he talks there in verse 3, just after the first two verses are just his, his greeting, his salutation to them. And he says, Blessed be, and notice he includes all of God in his fullness and his triunity here in our salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Our hope is something that is beyond this, but notice here that that hope, that which is beyond this, that which this world can't touch, that that this world cannot take away, that it all comes when it's established in that great salvation, that lively hope that we have by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He goes on in in verse five, says who are kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. There is nothing. You see, first of all, we see here that, first of all, he's talking about the confidence of our hope. And the confidence of our hope is in salvation. And he tells us in these verses here that that confidence of our hope is there because we are preserved by the power of God. It doesn't matter what's coming. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Folks, there is nothing in the world that should give us greater hope than that. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, yes, that's the beginning of our hope, if you would. But what he's talking about here is our future hope. We are preserved for something that is beyond this world, for something that this world can't take away. It doesn't matter if our problems are financial, if they're spiritual, if they're physical, whatever they are, there's something we have an inheritance beyond this world that this world cannot take from us. So we're preserved by the power of God. We're preserved until that day that he comes for us. That is our future hope. But our hope is not only in the future, Our hope is in the present, a joy that we have right now. That's what he goes on in these next verses that we read there. Notice he says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto what? Praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. We should greatly rejoice. And he says, even though it's for a season, even though that there might be these manifold, these these tremendous temptations, so that the trial of our faith is something that when we go through it, that it actually might bring praise and honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You see, when our hope is established in our great salvation, our confidence in that hope it's not in what we see. It's not in what others do. It's not in what we do. We have a future hope that is preserved by the very power of God. We don't have to worry about preserving it for ourselves. God has it preserved for us. But we have a present hope, a present joy. He tells us over and over here that we need to be rejoicing in that that is our present joy, our present hope, which will be proven, he says, by the trials of our persecution. It's easy to smile when things are going good. It's easy to put on a good face when things are smooth. But what about when things are really bad? What about when you really just don't know where to turn? I mean, we all have days like that. And sometimes those days stretch into weeks and they stretch stretch into months. But what Peter is trying to write to these that have been under great persecution is that you have a great hope, and that hope is established in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's established in your salvation. That confidence that you have in that hope is preserved by the power of God, and is proven by the very trials of persecution. I don't want to get into the whole doctrinal issue, but one of the things, one of the terms that is often used when speaking in theology is the preservation of the saints, Now, most Orthodox Christians that believe anything close to being close to the Bible believe in the preservation of the saints. They just believe in it different. Some believe that the saints have got to hang on and and hold on to be preserved until the end. But we know that we're preserved until the end because of God. You see, it's not because that we're hanging on in the midst of these trials that we're going to be saved. It's because that we are saved. The great salvation that we have is in the hope because our future hope is preserved by the power of God. But our present hope, our present joy is proven by the very trials and persecutions many times. And I know that I could stand here and I could tell you many stories this evening, and you could know many of your own. Whether so many times, whether it's in your life, or oftentimes it's looking at someone else that you that you really care about. And somebody that, that you know, nobody's perfect, but you see them genuinely trying to live their lives for God, trying to do what's right trying to do the things that they're supposed to do as a Christian, and yet you see these really bad things that come into their lives sometimes. Why did that person get cancer? Why did that person have that horrible accident? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And many times we can never, ever answer those questions. But you see, it's when we go through many of those trials, how that we handle them. I've said many times, you know, as a young man, you know, I was, I was only, you know, 30 years old when I lost my dad. And of course, you know, I used to look many times. My dad wasn't perfect, but he loved God and he loved his family. And there were many things in his life that were such an example to me that I hoped that I could only just have a a little bit of it sometime in my own life. And I can remember, you know, why, you know, why, why a man that's trying to live his life for God, that's trying to preach God's word, that, that loves people unconditionally. I believe that's one of the, the greatest gifts that I ever saw in my dad. It didn't matter what you did wrong. It didn't matter how bad that you were. It didn't matter how bad that you messed up. He still loved you. That wasn't just a family, but that was the members of his church as well. And I guess the thing is, is many times I used to say, why, you know, 10 heart attacks in, 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 in a space of about 20 years in his life. Two open heart surgeries why did he go through all these things doctors told him you've got to quit preaching you're gonna die he said I got to keep preaching to live amen and I believe with all my heart that's what kept him going was because he still had that desire but the thing is I can honestly tell you right now that even though it was hard at the time I can look back at many of the times when my dad was in that hospital and maybe he had had a serious heart attack himself but the next thing you know, as soon as he was able to get up out of that bed, he was going up and down the, uh, the, the, the hospital halls and he was going into the other rooms and he was trying to encourage those other people. And when he found the ones that weren't saved, he was trying to lead them to Christ. And there's people in heaven today because of the times that he spent in that hospital because he used it as a time to praise God. People couldn't understand a lot of times, you know, how can he be so happy? How can he have such a smile on his face? He was praising God. I shared with you some time back one of my dear, dear friends that uh, is no longer in this world. We worked together. Uh, his wife died of cancer. There are many things, but I can still remember to this day when so many were looking and they were thinking, you know, I mean, you know, she's, I mean, you know, she's only, you know, in her 30s, you know, she's maybe her early 40s. She's, you know, she's got this horrible disease. She's got a, she's got a family and everything. Why, you know, and, and, and you couldn't be around this woman without knowing that she loved God. And even as she lay there in the hospital, I can still remember the the evening that she took her last breath and Jerry on one side of the bed and me on the other side of the bed. And when she could no longer had the strength to even lift her own arms, she was begging for us to raise her arms up in that hospital bed so that she could praise God, (laughs) so that she could thank God. You know, these nurses and doctors are looking on and they're thinking, you know, something's wacko with this woman. You know, you're not supposed to be happy at a time like this. But her joy was in the Lord. You see, she had a great hope that was established in her salvation. And that great hope that is established in our salvation, our confidence in that hope is because it is preserved by the power of God. And the trials of persecution that we go through are not something that we go through because we don't have a hope. It is proven. Our salvation is proven by those trials. They make us better. They give God glory and honor by how we handle them and how we go through them. He goes on in, in the next Three verses in verses 10 to 12, he says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. They've been looking for this for a long time. Back in the Old Testament, those prophets who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. They were still looking for it as a future tense. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. And of course, we could go back and right now and we could read all those many Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled to the letter that told of the Messiah that was going to come, that told how he was going to suffer. And particularly in Isaiah and particularly in the Psalm, you can find so much, it's hard to comprehend how that somebody living 700 years before could write so vividly of what was taking place. Why? Because it was God that was planned it. It was God that was gonna die on that cross and it was God that was giving those men the words to write. He said, this is something that those prophets of old, they prophesied about it. They looked for it. They saw the sufferings of Christ, but they saw the resurrection. They saw the glory. They saw that when Satan thought that he was defeating their Lord, that in fact it was Satan himself that was being defeated. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. You see, our hope, our great hope is established in our great salvation. And the confidence of that hope comes because that salvation is preserved by the power of God. Our hope is in his hands is proven by the trials, the persecutions that we go through. And we should have a joy that is unspeakable because our joy is not based upon the things of this world. It was prophesied by the prophets of old and it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You see, our hope in the future, we have a future hope, but we have a present joy, a present hope because it was provided for in the past the past provision. Yes, the prophets prophesied of it in old, but Jesus came and fulfilled it in himself. So first of all, our hope is established in our great salvation because of the confidence of our hope in our salvation, but secondly, because of the consequences of our hope, our sanctification. You see, if we're truly established in this great salvation Not only should it do something inwardly, which is what he's talking about here, all these outside things shouldn't take away the joy that is ours within because of the great salvation that we have, that God planned for us, that God performed for us, that God preserved for us. But We find that there should be some consequences of that hope. Not only should it be from within, it should be seen outwardly, our sanctification Notice what he says, first of all, here in verses 13 to 16, he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. You better protect your mind. Be sober. There it is again. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. There's an awful lot of teaching and an awful lot of stuff that goes around that really doesn't like this kind of thing about us needing to live sanctified lives for us to be holy as he was holy Folks, we don't have to live according to the law. We don't have to live according to anything in order our salvation. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where that is based. That's where it's preserved. That's where it will always be. Our fruit, our living holy as he is holy. It's not so that we can weigh up the scales one day when we get there. It's not so that God will love us more now. It's because of what happened on the inside is going to be shown on the outside. An orange tree bears oranges. An apple tree bears apples. What should a Christian bear? Christ-likeness. Someone that claims to be like Christ. That's what should be seen. And so he's showing us here that the consequences of this hope that we have should be evidenced in our fruit. It should be evidenced in our lives. People should be able to to see it in it, not because we suddenly become perfect, not because we're trying to work ourselves to heaven, not because we're trying to live some kind of a legalistic life that we can somehow be a better Christian than that person because we do this and we do this, but we don't do that and we don't do that. We do it because of what's within. It should be evidence. It should be natural. If Christ is truly living in our lives, if we are like Him, then that's the kind of fruit that should be born and be seen in our lives. Notice what He says in verse 17. He says, And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, you weren't saved because of what you did or what you didn't do. You weren't saved because of what those that have gone before you, your forefathers have done. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. It's what he did in Jesus Christ, that your faith, that your hope can rest in God himself. Our great hope must be established in our great salvation It's not just some fly-by-night thing. It's not just some little religious thing that we go through. Too many people get a dose of religion, but they never get established in the great salvation of God. You see, we can have confidence in that hope, but there ought to be consequences of it. First, it should be evidenced in our fruit. And secondly, here, it should be encouraged by the cost. All this gold and all this silver and all these jewels... All those things couldn't buy your salvation. They couldn't give you that hope. It was purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus Christ allowed himself to be humiliated. He died that suffering death. He went through the the shame before the world. And he said that God foreordained that. God planned that before the foundation of the world. That's hard for us to get our mind right. God saw you before he ever created anything in this world. And he knew that you would fail just like that I would. He knew that you would sin just like that I would. And he already had it planned because there's only one thing, the wages of sin is death. Death was the only thing that could pay for it. So God already put the plan in place that Jesus Christ would come, that he would die on that cross, that it was his precious blood that would pay for your redemption that would pay for your sins. That ought to make a difference in your life. You know, one of, the, one of the things that most of us learn early in life is that things tend to be more important to us. They tend to be more precious to us when they cost us something. <laughs> you know, when everything is just given to us and you don't have to work for it and it has absolutely no value whatsoever, it doesn't really matter if it gets broke it doesn't really matter if it gets lost. But boy, if you've been saving your pocket money for weeks and months and sometimes years to get that one thing, boy, if something happens to it, it's horrendous because it meant so much to you. What's the Bible saying here? Oh, your great hope. I know it may be a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or a bad year. But see, your confidence of your hope is based in your salvation, not in the things that are happening. And there should be consequences to that. And yes, it should be seen in the fruit of your life that you're bearing, but also should be encouraged by the cost of what it cost us. Our salvation, isn't it kind of tough sometimes to get that balance in your thinking when on the one hand, God has given it to us as a free gift. We can't. That's why he's trying to make so clear here. All the work you can do in the world, all the good living you can do, all the things you can tick off that you haven't done, that you have done, and all those things, none of it would pay for your salvation. None of those things did. All the religious heritage that came right down from those before us that we maybe still hold dear today, those things don't save us. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else. That's where our hope is. We should be encouraged that God loved us that much, that he paid such a price. But notice what he goes on to say here, beginning in verse 22. He says, Seeing ye have purified your souls, what? In obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another, with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Folks, it's God's truth. It's God's word that will empower us. Nothing else in all of the world. There's nothing else in all the world that can change a person's life that can give a person new life. Yes, you see, it was bought and paid for by the very blood of Jesus Christ himself. But it's empowered in the truth that God has preserved for us. It's the truth that will save souls. It's the truth that will set them free. The Bible tells us very clearly in another place when he's given us the Great Commission, <laughs> when he's talking about the fact that Jesus came and he died on the cross and he rose the third day, that remission of sins might be preached in his name. You see, Jesus did everything, and he paid the price. But how shall they hear without a preacher? It's only by the Word of God. It's only by the Word of God that a soul can come to realize and to need that the power of the Word and the passion for others what, you know, talking about this, obeying the truth through the spirit and having this unfeigned love. You see, it's only when we can begin to become more like him that we can truly love like God loves. We, I, I can't even get my head around the, the simplicity of the fact that, you know, there is absolutely nothing that you can do to make God love you any less And there's absolutely nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. It doesn't matter how vile the person is. It doesn't matter how horrendous the sins that they've committed. God still loved them enough that he planned beforehand for their redemption, for Jesus to hang on that cross and die for them. I don't understand why he would want to save me. But the Bible is teaching us very clearly here, oh boy, it may be a tough day, a tough week, a tough month, a tough year but you've got a great hope. You've got a great hope amidst all that great suffering no matter what it is and that great hope is established in your great salvation. The confidence of that hope is in him. The consequences of that hope should be seen in your life. And I wanna give you one other thing here just before we finish. Notice he goes on down into chapter two. He says, wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now he goes on to say in verse four, to whom coming as unto a living stone Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God. Precious. You know, it's hard as a Christian to think, how could anybody, if Jesus Christ himself walked through that door and walked down this aisle, how could anybody not love him? How could anybody reject him? How could anybody tell this bunch of lies about him to try to destroy him? ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. There was a time when all those sacrifices had to be taken time and time and time again. But now God wants our hearts. He doesn't want our lamb or our goat or anything else. The blood has already been shed. The sins have been paid for. He wants our lives, and it should be exemplified, exclaimed through our praises. What's coming from our lips? Wherefore, also, it is contained in the Scripture Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. (laughs) Everybody doesn't want to hear what you've got to say. Everybody does not want to hear about Jesus Christ. They rejected Him and they still reject Him today. He says, but you're a chosen generation. (laughs) We're a chosen generation. God chose you, preached it, I don't know, been a year or two back now, I guess. God chose you to be where you are right now in this time. We can look around and say, boy, if I'd only lived in that time or if I'd only lived in that time. God chose you to be where you are right now at this appointed time. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I'm saying to you, (laughs) the praises ought to just be rolling from our lips. That's part of what should be seen with those around us. I know it may be a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad year. I know. It was for these people too. But you see, amidst it all, we have a great hope that is beyond explanation. And that great hope that we have in the midst of all of the suffering is established in our great salvation. When we're just reminded in these verses of just how great the salvation it is. From times past when it's all the confidence is because it's all of God that planned it in the past, that performed it in the present, that preserved it for the future. And he's got your future preserved for you. So what can they do to you? I mean, really, when it comes right down to it, what if they take your car away? What if they burn your house down? What if they take your clothes away? What if they take everything you've got? They can't take away your salvation that's established in Jesus Christ. And your hope is established in that salvation. Your hope is not in what you have. Your hope is what God has given you, what God has done for you. And that ought to be showing through in our lives. There ought to be consequences of that hope in our lives. People ought to be able to see it It ought to be evidenced in our fruit. It ought to be encouraged by its cost. It ought to be empowered by the truth. It ought to be exclaimed through our praises. So folks, we do have a great hope. It's easy to get our eyes on the present, our eyes on the problems, our eyes on the things that are so tough for us right now. And we're all human. We all go there. But Peter was writing to a people that, yeah, they were in the midst of their suffering. They've been scattered all over the place because of their, their faith. But he's saying, you've got a great hope, a joy that is unspeakable. And it's not, you can't look at the circumstances of how tough it is and base your life on that. Let your hope, let it be established in who you are in Jesus Christ. Let it be established in your salvation When your hope is established there, it will be a great hope indeed. Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, as we look through these passages, what Peter was writing to, yes, primarily a Jewish people that had been scattered abroad, that were being persecuted greatly, but Lord, he makes it very clear that that same truth is for us today. And Lord, you've given it to us today. and We do know that everybody, has the times when things can be tough, when things are rough. But I thank God this evening that our confidence is in you. It's not in us. It's not in what those that have done before us or those that will do after us. It's in one person, Jesus Christ, and Him alone. So I pray that you'd help us this evening, Lord. Help us as your people. Lord, when things are tough, when it is a bad day, when it is something, Lord, that we don't even understand why such a bad thing could be happening, I pray that you'd help us to have great hope in the midst of that. That's established in our salvation that we can have the confidence because our salvation is in you, not in ourselves. And Lord, that the consequences of that may it show, Lord. And we'll look at some verses to follow later, maybe in a couple of weeks. And Lord, as we look at those things, we'll see more things in the outflowing of that from our lives. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us, first of all, to be established in that salvation, that our hope is in that, both in what you have done for us, for that change that's taken place in our lives, and how it affects us, that sanctification, that being set apart. We are a peculiar people. We are a generation of people that you have set for this time to be here, to be your representatives on this earth. So we thank you for that.